If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a big hour coming your way. We're going to be joined by a rising star. As far as Floridians know him as Byron Donalds, the new congressman. He really has a lot to say about what's going on, uh, especially with these lockdowns. Florida's got it right. And even more uh, vaccines are coming through. Good news on Johnson & Johnson there. We're also going to be joined by General Jack Keenan. This outrageous story. Uh, for the last three years, on and off, John Kerry and other Obama officials, many of which are now Biden officials, have been meeting with Iran, essentially tell them to ignore Trump, will be in power soon, hold your fire. That's anti-American. They can't be allowed to get away with that. Uh, we'll discuss that with the General Jack, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. In my experience as a deputy who is traffic trained and works a traffic car, um, I have seen many collisions. The the nature of his vehicle, the fact that he was wearing a seatbelt, um, I, I would say that it greatly increased the likelihood that it saved his life. Unbelievable. Uh, Carlos Gonzalez of the Los Angeles uh, Police Department could have uh, been much worse. A horrific car accident leaves Tiger Woods struggling with severe leg injuries, actually to his right leg. And details reveal America's got every got very close to losing another sports legend way too soon. Number two. The kids were ripped from their arms and separated. And now they cannot find over 500 of sets of those parents. And those kids are alone. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. It's criminal. Easy to be a critic, a little harder to be a president. Joe Biden's unforced calamity at the border has been putting minors in some facilities that he condemned Donald Trump for putting minors in those same facilities. What's the difference? Republican and Democrat. Number one. The problem, I think, with Dr. Fauci is not so much with him him, as it is with our failure as a society to recognize that he is a an expert in a narrow field. When they talk about follow the science, the question becomes, well, which science? Such a great point. Bridgman makes it. The Fauci folly. 60 days to bend the curve. Remember that? Has turned into two years with a mask and maybe a lifetime without a job. Follow the science is leading the nation off a cliff. Isn't psychology a science, too? Also, great news on the vaccine front. Johnson & Johnson got preliminary okay to start with their emergency use uh, application. So that's good news for us. We have also more good news. Uh, Novartna Novartna is another uh, vaccine company. They came up with a possibly even more potent vaccine, two shots. This might be even more effective than AstraZeneca, Moderna, and Pfizer. This is all great news for the world and for our country, but you would never know it listening to Anthony Fauci and these both Biden officials. I almost said Obama. Why? Because they have to get a rescue package passed. Or they're just taking great uh, stock in having this control. 
and these governors in control of your state, when you can open, when you can go to bed, when the curfew is, how, how much further you should stay away from somebody, how many masks you should wear, how many summons, summonses you should give. Now, if you pretend or record and tell people the truth, the cases are down almost 70% in the last six months. The deaths are down, uh, I think it is 40%, 35% over the last two weeks. Cases are down over the last two weeks an additional 40%. If you see that we're getting more and more vaccinated, if you see that the United States is now behind only Israel in the rate on which we're giving out vaccinations, that's how quick, and give Biden some credit, his team is doing it. He left off. He was just short of a million cases, uh, a million vaccines uh, a week, and now he's uh, close to 1.6, 1.7. And all we talk about is things staying the exact same. We're not going to take off masks. We're not going to go indoor dining. We're not going to be able to go on vacation. We're not going to be able to go on a plane without all these, uh, all these, uh, uh, all these quarantines measures. Seniors aren't going to be able to see their family. That is unacceptable. Among the people fed up with Anthony Fauci, like I am, Megan McCain. Before I roll, Megan McCain, quick thing. Anytime Anthony Fauci gets on television, he's got to be with a psychologist and maybe an economist. And I would demand that if I'm President Biden, because his point of view is his point of view. If you want him and he's the highest paid public figure, fine. And you want him out there, fine. But he's got to have an economist weigh the downside of losing your job and having a family uh, get extradited extradited from their house. You got to weigh it to the kids not going to school every time you decide that kids can't go to school or the teachers union should have final say. You got to have a psychologist there saying, listen to the damages being done. Look at the suicides going up. Look at the anxiety uh, that has been dredged up. Look at the lack of development for third, fourth, and maybe even 11th graders. Among the people fed up, Megan McCain, Cup 5. The fact that Dr. Fauci is going on CNN and he, he can't tell me that if I get the vaccine, if I'll be able to have dinner with my family or dinner with, I mean, I don't have any grandparents left, but, you know, older people, if I can go to, to dinner at, at friends' houses who are older, it's, it's terribly inconsistent messaging and it continues to be inconsistent messaging. I'm over Dr. Fauci. I think we need to have more people giving more opinions. And I, I honestly, quite frankly, I think the Biden administration should, should remove him and put someone else in place that maybe does understand science or can talk to other countries about how we can be more like these places that are doing this successfully. Right, doing successfully, and we've done the other stuff. We're over it. Listen to this. 67,000 primary uh, physicians have gotten together and calling for a return to in-person learning. 67,000 pediatric doctors, primary care doctors, are saying return to school. I didn't say Republicans or Democrats, did I? Children's Hospital Association has asked the administration, that's this administration, uh, and lawmakers to provide more funds to programs to address escalating crisis among children in our country. There's a 20 percent increase in suicide attempts, a 40 percent increase in behavior disorders. Uh, Today, front page of the New York Times, teens going to ER because there are no psychiatric beds available. 25% increase in suicidal thoughts and actions. Pediatric psychologists say uh, their cases are up 24%. Among teens, 31%. Can we please understand that this is a crisis and has to be addressed directly? Britt Hume said it perfectly. Cut six. The problem, I think, with Dr. Fauci is not so much with him him as it is with our failure as a society to recognize that he is a, an expert in a narrow field. 
He's an epidemiologist. His job is to fight this disease. Uh, he's not a, uh, an expert in child psychology or children's education. He's not an authority on the U.S. economy and the damage that may be done to it. That's not in his bailiwick. When they talk about, you know, follow the science, the question becomes, well, which science? You know, economics is a science. Cardiology is a, is a branch of science. And if you listen to only some scientists, instead of looking, you know, through a broader lens, uh, you end up with the kinds of policy decisions that we've made. In a half hour, my name came up on MSNBC. And I read this from an emailer that told me about this. And I'm going to hear it for the first time with you. I don't want to take too much time away from our next two guests, General Jack Keane at the bottom of the hour. And Byron Donalds, after that, uh, he's going to be next. But I will take your calls at one 408 7669 But I don't need you to hang on the line. Just get on there in about a half hour, uh, and I'll be taking your calls then. Uh, real quick, uh, we saw, we heard about the accident. Amazing they kept this quiet so long. But Tiger Woods, at about 740 Pacific time, got in a car accident. It's a bad one. A windy road. They say it's easy to get upwards in speeds in a rented car, a uh, rented SUV. He went flying across lanes, hit a bunch of things, flipped his car over. But thankfully, between airbags and putting on your seatbelt, it looks like he's going to be okay. His, his leg looks like it's shattered. Uh, in many different areas. So this is going to be a long comeback, if he can come back, at the age of 45. Here's the L.A. County Sheriff, Alex Villanueva, Cut 17. It crossed the center divider to the point that it rested with several several hundred feet away. So obviously that indicates they were going at a relatively a greater uh, speed than, than normal. However, because it is downhill, it slopes, and it also the, it curves, that area has a high frequency of of accidents is not uncommon. Well, high frequency of accidents. He was going to another shoot. He had done a shoot. He was kind of in a rush. Obviously, everyone says he's got so much money and get a driver. He had problems in 2017. He fell asleep at the wheel. Turns out he was addicted to painkillers. He had that handle, came back, win the Masters. Now he's competing with his son. You see his son out there, too. He wants to get a few more majors under his belt. He's got 80-plus wins just on the tour specifically. But this 2021 Genesis GV80 is going to sell a lot of cars. Uh, They're going to sell a lot of those models today because people talked about how safe it kept him, how uh, it enabled him not to lose his life but just to have his leg really uh, hammered. Uh, This is what they say happened. Um, He has open fractures affecting both his upper and lower portions of his tibia, fibula, and bones were stabilized by inserting rods into the tibia. Additional injuries to the bones of the foot and ankle were stabilized with a combination of screws and pins. Trauma to the muscle and soft tissue of the leg required surgical release of the covering of the muscles to relieve pressure due to the swelling. This would be his greatest comeback. But right now, he's just got to be happy that he's alive. And we're talking about his legs, not his life. Over, of course, of what he's been through lately, March 4th, neck strain announced. Mar- August 9th, a strained oblique. August 27th, 2019, arthroscopic surgery to repair minor ligament damage in his left knee. Uh, on January 19th, this is what he was coming back out from. Fifth, uh, fifth microdisectomy back procedure. Um, he had pressurized disc fragments there, so they removed them, and he was hoping to play in the Masters. That won't happen. When we come back, Congressman Byron Donalds and more. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. 
Kudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Kudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are on track uh, to get this bill done and get it on the president's desk before the expiration of the enhanced unemployment benefits, which is March 14th. We're going to meet that deadline. And it's going to be a robust, strong bill, just as we asked for. Not exactly the same, but very close to the bill that President Biden proposed. $1.9 trillion, with about half of it, maybe less, going to anything to do with the pandemic. The other stuff is subways for San Francisco, bridges uh, for New York, uh, money for museums, and native language preservation, Native American language preservation. This is what drives, I think, the average American nuts. Not the number, everybody say, well, $2,000, that's a very popular thing. $1,400, very popular thing. Yeah, but look at the rest of the stuff and knowing that eventually someone's got to pay for it. Congressman Byron Donalds just got in there and must be outraged by what he's seeing. Uh, Congressman, I guess it's past past the uh, committee. It's soon going to pass the House. And the Senate's going to have a chance to vote on this $1.9 trillion rescue bill. Are you for it? No, absolutely not. I'm pissed. This bill is trash. Let me just tell you, what's in this bill has nothing to do with COVID-19. I think it's about maybe 9 10% of the spending has to do with it. The rest of this stuff is liberal wish list policy, things that they can never get done in regular order. Um, I think if people go back and remember, Nancy Pelosi said after the December bill was passed that this was a down payment. Well, now she's coming back for the rest of the money. And it's a tragedy because the Dems have no answers in committees on what they're trying to spend. Uh, they're not taking any amendments. Uh, we've been completely shut out of the process, and they're just ramming this thing home because of elections. That's it. But yet the numbers are diving in deaths, diving in cases, diving in hospitalizations. You know what's up? Vaccinations. Nobody's better. I don't. I think you guys are among the leaders. And now you, in next week, I think you're going to start hitting 50-year-old teachers and up. So you guys are, are right with the leaders in the country. Our country is among the leaders. Why do... Why don't Democrats talk about that? Because they want their money, and they're going to take it from the taxpayers. Look, even these rebate checks, these checks of $1,400, which frankly, and this is important, these are rebate checks. 
These are not just checks going out the door that's just free money. Uh, taxpayers who get this money, people who get this money, are going to have to pay it back in future taxes. That's one of the things that really is not being talked about much up here. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, it's just all the things that they've wanted to spend money on for years that they needed a crisis to spend money on. And Brian, that's what they're doing now. Like, why are hosp- why are museums getting money? What does that have to do with, with uh, ending the pandemic? It doesn't. Why do state and local governments get an upwards of four hundred billion dollars? They don't need. They, if they need that money, open up their economies and they'll get that money the way you typically get it when businesses operate and there are taxes that are paid. That's how. So that's how local governments fund themselves. That's how state governments fund themselves. In Florida right now, we thought we were going to take a revenue hit, and so we were prepared for a revenue hit of having to cut our budget in the state of Florida. We're not actually seeing that because we opened up for business and we've actually been able to recover from the revenue losses from from you know second quarter last year when COVID really hit and the entire country shut down. But all this is right now is just getting their pound of flesh because even though vaccinations are up, like you said, even though cases are down, even though deaths are, are, are trending downwards, the only argument they make now up on Capitol Hill is that, well, half a million people lost their lives, so we have to do something. We've already done the thing that needs to happen. We have a vaccine. It's getting distributed. If, if we want to spend money to make sure we get more vaccines and get them distributed, I'm actually fine with that. That makes a lot of sense because it helps us recover. But that's not what we're doing. We're just sending money out the door all over the place when the data doesn't even suggest we need to do that. Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, you guys have opened up your schools. What has the result been? Our students have been learning. Here's what's, what's happened in Florida. We opened up and we gave parents the option to decide what they want to do, whether it's be optional, whether it's come in a couple days a week, whether it's continue to, to distance learn or to go back to school full time. We gave parents those options. And what's happened in our schools is our kids are learning again. Uh, transmission rates are, are the, some of the lowest across any other segment in Florida. Um, there hasn't been these massive outbreaks, even though the national media was hoping upon hope that there were going to be nas- these massive super spreader outbreaks in our school. We've not seen any of that. Um, the CDC, under the previous administration, never said that schools had to be closed. They never said that. Never once did the CDC officials say that. It's only now because politics demanded that the CDC is now saying, oh, we, we recommend one day a week in school. But the only reason why they said that is because the CDC director under Joe Biden was said basically in her official capacity. I don't care what Jen Psaki said. She's like, she said in her official capacity that going back to school is fine and opening schools are fine. And when the AFT got a hold of her, they had to pull that back and go do some stupid study, which doesn't even make any sense. That's and, what's going on in the United States. And they if you really want to know, you, you don't right. need yeah, you don't need a, a chart or a graph. Ask Florida. Ask the Catholic schools, the parochial schools. Ask the charter schools. How's it going? What are you doing? Do kids use lockers? Do they spread out? Do you have to use the gym? Have you found that these plexiglass surrounding the, uh, the, uh, the, the desks are effective? What about teachers? How are they handling it? Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
and learn from it. But we're not, we don't seem to have the same objective, Congressman. And you, I'm talking to Congressman Byron Donalds. And that must, that must really befuddle you because you're new to this. I am new to this. I'm not new to politics per se, but I'm new to Washington. And the one thing I'll tell you right now is that this place only cares about political science. This place doesn't care about data. This place doesn't care about what the actual science says. Like, you know, if that with young kids, there are, there's hardly uh, high levels of transmission, uh, that young kids do not take on the worst aspects of COVID-19. If anything, they're more susceptible to an actual flu strain than COVID-19. They're not listening to any of this stuff. What they're trying to do right now is pay back everybody that helped Joe Biden get elected. That's what's happening right now. And unfortunately, it's the American taxpayer and the American people that are going to suffer. And frankly, it's some of the people, frankly, in the Biden coalition, they're suffering the worst. Because if you're a small business owner or a minority business owner in a blue state, your business is the one that's shut down. And you know who's responsible. It's your blue representative. Uh, Congressman Byron Donald's got a great comment on foxnews.com. Look it up. Thanks so much, Congressman. Best of luck. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's been reported you've met with him a couple of times at least since uh, leaving office as well. Yes, so I you have. Still, That's and, accurate. Is it a half dozen times, a dozen times? I've probably seen him three or four times. Are you trying to coach him through the Trump administration's rejection of the JCPOA? No, that's not my job, and, and my coaching him would not, you know, that's, that's not how it works. What I, what I have done is tried to elicit from him what, Iran might be willing to do in order to change the dynamic of the Middle East for the better. Why? He was the former Secretary of State. He and that was John Kerry in 2018, admitting to meeting with the Iranian foreign minister three or four times. Then he met again in 2019, undermining the U.S. policy, which was put forward by Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo, which was beyond an argument, beyond a shadow of a doubt, working. Uh, total, so total sanctions like they've never had before, taking out Soleimani, uh, forcing uh, them to go back on their heels, reclaiming the Persian Gulf, no longer they're chasing our ships down, and doing our best to surround them with our allies who became allies of Israel, at least recognize them. General Jack Keane has been with us every step of the way through this entire process, retired four-star general, the chairman of the Institute for the Study of War and Fox News senior strategic analyst. General, I am so outraged by this revelation. How do you feel about it? Well, pretty much the same, Brian. And we've known this has happened uh, throughout the four years of the Trump administration. Uh, You know, so our audience certainly gets this thing uh, clearly. I mean, it, it is perfectly acceptable, and actually I think uh, it's good for the American people for an opposition party or even a previous administration uh, members, uh, you know, to criticize American policy. I, I think that helps inform, you know, the American people as to uh, what the appropriate direction of, of America should be, and they have a right to, uh, to analyze that themselves. But to think that we have a former Secretary of State and other previous uh, Obama officials, I may add, to work with an adversary. And let's 
let's say what's really going on here, to undermine the Trump policy in dealing with Iran. I'm, that is appalling. It's reckless. And it's clearly significantly uh, irresponsible. And, and I believe it, it, it's actually somewhat unprecedented. I mean, it, Iran, uh, Brian, is a bona fide enemy of the United States. Actually, the word adversary doesn't describe it accurately. And certainly they're not a competitor. They're an enemy because they've blown up two of our embassies through their proxies, blown up two of our barracks. They targeted Americans during the war in Iraq with special IEDs, killing at a minimum hundreds of them. Uh, Lloyd Austin told me uh, when he was the last commander in Iraq that he thinks it's it's closer to possibly 2,000 is what he privately told me. But the, you know, they don't have the evidence to support that. It's a judgmental call. And then they had scores of hostages that they took who were Americans for 20 years and still have five of them there. This is a bona fide enemy. And that Trump, Trump had a right to come in and change the policy, which he did do. And he imposed crippling sanctions. And what, what I believe the, these uh, uh, Biden, excuse me, Obama-Biden officials are, are doing is tell, advising Iran in concert with our European allies. To, they advise them to wait out the Trump administration and don't bend to it. And you'll get likely a more friendly administration after the American election. I think that was actually the so-called bottom line. And as late as 2019, yep. Robert Malley, who uh, was a negotiator on the original Iran deal and is now the envoy to Iran from the State Department, spoke with Sarif in New York. And, and weeks later, Trump's team – his national security team try to back channel with the Iranians to have secret negotiations with them about renegotiating the Iranian deal. They refused. And, and I suspect that that refusal in part was due to the advice that they're getting from the previous administration. And, and General, this is this is so beyond the pale. I can't put into words, especially, I mean, look, if we're talking about the Nordstrom 2, uh, Nordstrom Stream pipeline, I'd be upset. If our if Kerry was talking to Germany, that's an ally. But to think they're going to uh, arguably our number one or number two enemy and coaching them while this administration is trying to pull off what we now know as the Abraham Accords and and having Israel being recognized by Bahrain, Morocco, and we hope Yemen, I think Sudan, uh, and now hopefully Saudi Arabia. At the same time, you're wondering. You know, we got crippling sanctions on them. We know their economy is crippled. Their economy is struggling. We also know there are protests in the streets against their government. Why is there no give there? Because they were given the given a wink and a nod. Trump is going to lose this election. I also found out that Secretary of State Kerry was telling everyone he's going to get impeached. Don't even deal with them. Well, yeah, none of that uh, surprised me. It, it, it truly is unprecedented and. Um, and it's got to be called Is it treasonous? Out, you know, as, I don't know if it meets the definition. I mean, we'd, we'd have to ask somebody, you know, who's a lawyer and understands the, the very narrow and legal definition of what constitutes treason. Uh, but it, it is about as anti and un-American as I of something I've ever seen, particularly by someone in such a responsible position who had been a former secretary of state and, and a senator for for so many years, and a presidential candidate. My God, 
Can you imagine all the classified briefings that John Kerry has had on Iran and what he knows about what they are up to? There is no nation state in the last 40 years that has killed more Americans than Iran. Not no, Nobody's even close to that. As a nation state, that is, that is the absolute facts of the case. And, and to think that we're doing this, uh, certainly, and what you're doing today and, and providing emphasis on this for our audience to truly understand is the right thing. Absolutely. And so I would feel the same way if I found out Mike Pompeo was working behind the scenes to undermine uh, Anthony Blinken, I would be almost as outraged. I would be equally outraged because he, it makes us look like a third-rate uh, republic. We, have, we can't have dual voices. Here's Mike Pompeo on this very question when this story broke, Cut 42. Uh, we knew this was going on, and frankly, we knew it was going on before that as well. It's un-American. It's very troubling. It's not the right thing to do. Uh, they lost an election, and they should have just gotten off the stage. They chose not to do that and instead tried to undermine what the American people had put forward as America's policy, and a policy, frankly, that kept America safe. It's sad that Secretary Kerry is... Uh, so so uh, unable to get off the stage at any point that he had to go try and undermine what President Trump and our team were trying to do. And just to finish up on this, Dr. Munoz was there in a summer, uh, um, I think a summer meeting, and they, he was wondering, Pompeo was, why these guys were all, all there again. And they're trying to, now they're actually begging them to go back to talks. Meanwhile, a third rocket attack went into the green zone at one of our bases in Iraq, thought to be a, a Iranian affiliated militia. And we found out, too, that uh, they are going to limit inspector access to nuclear sites. And the IAEA announced last week that there are undeclared uranium material at two sites that Iran had blocked access to. So they're going ahead and getting very close to a nuclear weapon while rocketing at our bases, while demanding us drop the sanctions. Yeah, I mean, this is all about sanction relief from the Iranians. And and that and that is why they're putting this pressure on the Biden administration. Um, a couple, a couple of uh, footnotes here. One is yes, there have been three attacks, but the principal one was the beginning of last week, when when they attacked a, um, a U.S. base in Erbil, Iraq. Um, one contractor killed nine. Uh, nine other people were wounded. One of those was a U.S. serviceman. Uh, and, and obviously that's coming dangerously close to killing Americans again. And what they have done is, is, is said how, uh, how much they disagree with that behavior and, and people will be and there will be consequences to it. But what they have not done, and it's evident that we already know the rockets came from Iran uh, because we have that evidence. So we haven't called out the Iranians. Uh, we may not know exactly which militia group that's backed by the Iranians fired the rockets. I suspect we do know, but I'll give them the benefit of doubt on that. But what what we know for a fact is that Iran is using their proxies again, which one may have some doubt, to actually attack America. That is a fact. American troops at a U.S. base. And they should be called out for that. And and be specific about it. We're not being specific. Why is that? Because I don't think they want to disturb the, the Iranians in terms of coming back into the nuclear deal. Does that sound familiar to the Obama administration uh, when Obama did not execute the red line chemical attack, didn't respond to it by Assad? And that many of the reasons we, we believe for that is because Assad 
was a, a proxy government being supported by the Iranians, and they didn't want to disturb the negotiations, which were which were just beginning at that time uh, uh, with the Iranians on a nuclear deal. So here's a replay of that. And what should happen here, Brian? I'm not saying that we should attack that proxy unless we have uh, specific information yeah. as to who they are and where they are. But I am saying this. We should send a message to the Iranians that we will not talk to you, as opposed to an overture to them to talk on nuclear deal. We will not talk to you on the nuclear deal. We will not consider any sanction reliefs at all unless this behavior changes. We are not going to put up with you attacking American troops, no matter where they are in the world. And if you're doing that, then all thoughts of uh, sanction relief from the United States is off. As a matter of fact, we would likely increase the sanctions. That should have been the response after the U attack on a U.S. base. And that would have clearly have got their attention. And here, instead, here is their response. New Secretary of State Tony Blinken, 43. He's prepared to go to the table to talk to the Iranians about how we get strict constraints back on their nuclear program. Iran has not yet responded. It is Iran that is isolated now diplomatically, not the United States. And the ball is in their court. That's the response. Yeah, that's almost laughable. And, and I don't say that lightly because this is serious issues when you're discussing the complications of foreign policy and, and national security. Listen, the Iranians are tough negotiators. They, they completely rolled uh, the Obama administration and developed this flawed JCPOA deal and focused only on nuclear, not their behavior in the region, not ballistic missiles, which are the delivery means for nuclear uh, weapons. And then the nuclear deal itself was so fundamentally flawed because it was a pathway to a nuclear weapon. So that, the results of that are, are really pretty horrific. But here we are again, very eager, eager to have these negotiations. And Blinken also said last week that the sanctions themselves was a failed Trump policy. Now, even if you, if you thought that privately, why would you say that publicly and weaken your own hand? Absolutely. Sanctions is the leverage that we have over the Iranians. The Iranians are desperate to get the sanctions off. The reason why they've gone to 20 percent uranium enrichment uh, from the, the 3.75 percent, which was tolerated, is to get the sanctions, to get to put pressure on the United States. The, the reason why they've gone to uranium metal development is for the same reason. The reason why they're saying, well, we're not going to permit um, – short notice inspections of our facilities, which is something they've just done within the last few days. That is all to put pressure on the Biden administration to get sanction relief. That's, and, and the Iranians are masters at playing this hand. Uh, I'll, I'll give them credit. They, they absolutely know how to take advantage right. of what they believe are weak leaders. And, and, they, and, they, and they have done that quite successfully uh, with the Obama-Biden administration for eight years. You know, it's just such a great point. You don't really need a lot of nuance or years of the State Department. If the if these sanctions were so ineffective, why are the Iranians so desperate to get rid of them? Uh, yeah, General Jack Keane, thanks so much. Yeah, good talking to you, Brian, as always, and to your audience. Thank yeah, I, I hope that the Trump people, Mike Pompeo, get even more aggressive. This, is, this can't happen. You remember General Mike Flynn was excoriated and basically lost his job and his livelihood because he talked to the Russians prior to actually getting the job. He was national security advisor-elect, and they said, well, you told the Russians to be patient, uh, allegedly, 
on sanctions. And this guy is out there blatantly working behind our back, and he's against an American uh, administration. Incredible. General, thanks so much. one 408 7669 I got some calls to make, and I got one clip to play. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I want to play something for you from Fox News this morning that people are thinking about because they're trying to figure out how to live their lives in the post-vaccine world. I'll ask your opinion on it on the other side. Mike, parents are 80 years old. They got vaccinated. Can they go see their grandkids? You know what the answer is? Yes. You know why? Because you just explained to them. The vaccine's 94% effective. The chances of a kid getting it and being uh, falling ill are, are infinitesimal. Michael, is he right or wrong? I think he's right. Uh, we have to learn to live with this virus in a way that we haven't to date. Uh, imagine an entire country vaccinated and still telling people that they have to isolate, they have to quarantine, they have to continue to wear their mask, and it's not going to happen. Uh, we grant you that it doesn't mean that everybody's vaccinated is going to be perfectly protected, but we have to move on. We're not there yet. But uh, I think over the course of the upcoming months as vaccine uh, increases in our communities, we need to try to get back to that new normal. My concern right now is front and center with this new variant. But I think overall in the long term, yeah, that's the right answer. (laughs) How shocked is Brian Williams that they played a clip of me on Fox and Friends to rip me. And it turns out I'm 100 percent right. I know I'm right. So I know I don't need any affirmation, especially from that channel. But just to think he's setting up this doctor to give an answer where they're going to say how irresponsible it is. But we all know if you tell me that there's a only a 5 percent chance of me getting a virus, I'm most likely going to beat. Of course, it'll be a, a slight risk. I'm doing it, especially after a year of sitting in my house, especially, by the way, when you let me go to Costco and you let me go to channel, or excuse me, Target or let me go to uh, get my car fixed. And now all of a sudden, well, don't go see your grandkids. It's too risky. Forget it. The downside, the psychological downside of not seeing your family for a year is far greater than the, than the worry of getting infected by this virus. Forget it. It's over. I got vaccinated. I got twice. I'm 95% beat. That beats all the other vaccinations that I ever got. Joe is on WRCN on Long Island. Hey, Joe. Brian, you're 100% right. Uh, this is Communism 101. We knew Fauci was telling us in the beginning, remember, don't wear masks. This is not the World Health Organization back in February saying it's not transmissionable person to person. And then also now Fauci wants to triple mask. This is destroyed lives. When I found out they were putting these people into the nursing homes, and now we find out they were putting the, uh, the uh, COVID positive, that Como, and then they were putting the uh, into the um, disabled into yeah. there. That's a trifactor with the abortion. This is destroyed lives. This destroyed kids' lives, killed businesses. This is, they're all one and the same. Fauci World Health Organization, Clinton Foundation, the Gates Foundation, Columbia University is part of one world order. This is big money they get for this. We're not going to take it. We're going back to our lives, forget it. Go get vaccinated. Go do your thing. You carry a card. Open up those restaurants. Open up the schools. 
or you got to find a way to change schools. Have a GoFundMe page. I can't afford the parochial school. This is what I need for tuition. People will help you. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Uh, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to talk to Michael Patrick Smith, the guy that actually worked in the oil fields, uh, and he's going to be talking about what's at stake when we stop drilling and we stop pretending as if we can live without oil. It's more than just what you put in your car. It's more than how you heat your house. Now they're coming after our kitchens. They don't want people using natural gas uh, for your ovens. So everyone's got to go electric. That should really go over big. Uh, really, that's necessary. We'll talk about that. Uh, then Arthur Idell is going to be joining us. He's going to talk about the challenges the Trump team has and the Trump organization has with the attorney general getting permission to go through his taxes. We hear they're going for Don Jr. too. Excuse me. Do they go after the Bushes, the Obamas? Do they go after the Clintons and the Carters? Uh, there is a problem, I think, with going over presidents, not for what they did in office, but what they did prior because you don't like them and you live in a liberal state. That, to me, is fundamentally wrong. But what about legal peril? Arthur Idella on that. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. In my experience as a deputy who is traffic trained and works a traffic car, um, I have seen many collisions. The The nature of his vehicle, the fact that he was wearing a seatbelt, um, I, I would say that it greatly increased the likelihood that it saved his life. Uh, unbelievable. Carlos Gonzalez uh, talking about what he found when he came on to Tiger Woods. Could have been so much worse. A horrific one-car crash leaves Tiger struggling with severe leg injuries. And details reveal America got very close to losing another sports legend way too soon. Number two. Their kids were ripped from their arms and separated. And now they cannot find over 500 of sets of those parents. And those kids are alone. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. Easy to, be a crit- easy to be a critic. It's a little harder to be a president. Joe Biden's unforced calamity at the border has been putting minors in some facilities. He condemned Trump for putting minors in those same facilities. Remember, kids in cages? Uh, the overwhelmed border, it's only going to get worse. I've seen this movie before, and I hated the ending. Number one. The problem, I think, with Dr. Fauci is not so much with him him as it is with our failure as a society to recognize that he is a an expert in a narrow field. When they talk about follow the science, the question becomes, well, which science? Fauci folly. 60 days to bend the curve has turned into two years with a mask and maybe a lifetime without a job. Follow the science is leading the nation off a cliff. Isn't psychology a science? We are suffering at all ages, from seniors to second graders. Also, great news on the vaccine front. Great news on the cases front. Great news on the hospitalization front. And great news and better news on the death front. Everything is dropping except for vaccines. They're going up. Why do we not hear the good news? We'll discuss that. But first things first, let's talk politics. The President of the United States is going to be, a former President of the United States is going to be speaking at CPAC on Sunday, at which time he's going to outline what he thinks of the direction of the party. And I hope he doesn't take aim at people that voted against him on impeachment or weren't with him through his three months' travails of trying to reverse the election. 
Uh, we'll talk about that. But also this week, it became clear that the president's got some legal hurdles to clear. Arthur Idella, defense attorney, extraordinary, uh, extraordinary one at that. Uh, it's been a lot of big cases and has a good idea what the president's up against. Arthur, welcome back. How are you? The hardest working man in the media. Your, your name came up actually last week. Uh, you know, I'm a New Yorker and I listen to WABC on a very regular basis. And the overnight show was then promoted to go into 630 in the morning with uh, Bernie and Sid. And I calculated that Frank Morano was on the air five and a half hours. I said, Mr. Morano, nobody has more airtime than you. I said, wait a minute. Then, of course, there's Brian Kilmeade who's got a half an hour more than you on two different platforms. So, Brian, you are officially the hardest man working in the media. Well, thank Just you very you. much uh, for that replay. I was going to get the tape, but now I don't have to. <laughs> Listen, it's, and there's a lot to talk about, Brian, and you do an outstanding job. And, the, the, and President Trump, here's where, here's where if I'm a criminal defense attorney, I'm, I would be most uh, – I'd be focusing on, on all of his tax returns – and the ones that affect him personally, and the one that, ones that affect his family, and that has to do with his charities, with his foundation. Because the New York State Attorney General, um, Letitia James, who actually happens to be the same person who issued the Cuomo report, that if you'd like, we could speak about it in a moment. But, you know, she, she is the one who's in charge of every charity of the state of New York. So with 501c3, it means you don't pay taxes on certain things. And when you don't pay taxes, you're under much higher scrutiny. And every charity that is... Uh, uh, Walter, I thought they handled the that already. They agreed to dissolve it and they paid some type of fine. That was like yeah. two years okay. ago, wasn't it? Right, but what they're going to look at is seeing, did they use that charity in any way, shape, or form uh, on, his ta- on his personal taxes as some sort of slush fund, as some sort of... Uh, it, j- just improperly using the tax code. Now, there are brilliant people who get their what's called their LLM, which is a degree after you, you go to law school, only about tax. And a lot of it has to do, Brian, is like how to work the IRS, how to work that code, that huge thousands-page code to for, for an individual, for a citizen's own benefit. There's nothing illegal about doing that. And my optimistic hope for President Trump is that he had brilliant lawyers, brilliant accountants who said you can write this off or we can do it this way so that you don't have to pay an enormous amount of taxes. And although people, citizens may find that distasteful, it's 100 percent legal. Well, but what you said earlier in yeah. your in your monologue about attacking a president after he leaves office and you rattle off the, the most recent presidents and the fact that that didn't really happen, although I think they did go after Clinton for all the <laughs> all of the furniture he took from the White House or something like that. But you're absolutely correct. This is this is un- basically unprecedented. So the Supreme Court, Arthur, the Supreme Trump. Court said you can have at his taxes. They're going to talk about but, inflating the value of uh, of value of his properties in order to get loans. They've talked to a lot of the the, the, uh, the banking institutions that he's dealt with, and they got Michael Cohen in his ear looking for revenge. And it's just, and it's by the way, it's. So it's the Manhattan DA's office, it's the Attorney General's office, and it's basically – and now don't forget, the Department of Justice has now changed hands. So I think any they're, – they're afraid that this guy – that Donald Trump is going to run again. I mean that's the bottom, bottom line. And there may be another level where they just want to hurt the man or hurt his family, hurt those around him. 
which is not supposed to be the motivation of any prosecutor at any level. It's supposed to be equal justice under the law, and that's obviously not happening here. It is interesting, though, that the United States Supreme Court did protect President Trump, where they said that the, the turning over the tax returns had to be on a grand jury secrecy basis, which means it's a violation of the law if anybody leaks what is in those actual tax returns. So hypothetically, if they do their investigation, and even if they bring it in front of a grand jury, and a grand jury denies any type of criminal action, then nobody should ever see President Trump's tax return. Right, but we saw a lot of it in the New York Times already, and we found out what he can write off and what he can't. And we understand, too, when it comes to commercial real estate, what a lot of people don't understand, that part of their success is the way they turn things over and depreciate things. They buy— uh, Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that goes out there that you can't look at it like Arthur Dallas taxes. This is how much you charge. This is how much you paid. This is how much you owe. In fact, I'm going to expose your tax returns because I've gotten permission from— uh, from John Castamatidis to do that, and he's got more power okay, than anybody well, guys, else. But as you know, in the world of WABC, if John Castamatidis says it's okay, it's okay. But you're right, though. Just to your point, though, like every refrigerator you put in a, an apartment unit, every dishwasher, you're allowed to yep. appreciate all of those things, and you pay. By the way, maybe Trump, President Trump, is not paying a lot of money to uh, the government for taxes, but trust me, he's paying a lot to the law firms and to the the accountants and the bookkeepers who keep track of all of this and, and make it possible so that he could file these returns the way he has. And let's forget it. Let's not forget Donald Trump didn't just arrive on the scene 15 minutes ago. He's been a very prominent businessman in New York City who has not exactly enjoyed the love of all of the, the governors and, and mayors. He's been under scrutiny for decades, and I would think he's smart enough to cover to cover himself and do things the right way. That's here's, my, here's, my, uh, let's hope. Uh, I do hope. And by the way, if you want to anger this country beyond you can imagine, you go ahead and go after him legally and try to put him in jail. Uh, there's 75 million people who will know how out of bounds that is because there's nothing they're doing that was, couldn't have been examined before he ran. But now they decide to examine it because he became a prominent figure and won an election, which they never admitted to. Here's Andrew Weissman, the former FBI general counsel, who was uh, the big guy in the Mueller report, the brains behind the Mueller report. Cut 40. It's hard not to analogize to Al Capone because you have major story of 500,000 deaths, many of those preventable. And what we're talking about now is whether a financial criminal case can be brought against the former president. Remember, now they not only will get these documents, they've brought in an outside accounting firm that will help them go through those documents. And they've also brought in an outside lawyer. So they really have the right team in place. They will now have the right documents and we need to all wait and see. Do you believe yeah, that? That, he really, equate- that really disturbs me, by oh. the way. You, know, you want to talk about equal protection under the law? Mark Pomerantz, who is the uh, the lawyer he just referred to, Weissman just referred to as bringing in, you know, he was a, a very well-known federal prosecutor. He's done very, very well in private practice. For a district attorney's office who, I mean, they, look, they're, this is not a patent case where you need some sort of a major scientific degree. This is a case that the storied Manhattan District Attorney's Office should have the wherewithal to ha- handle internally. The fact that they're going outside to hire someone else in private practice, bringing them into the U.S. Attorney into the District Attorney's Office, just shows you how above 
and beyond, they are going to get President Trump. I mean, I tried the Harvey Weinstein case. They used prosecutors inside the office. At that time, Mr. Weinstein was the most hated man in America, and yet they had the wherewithal inside the DA's office to try that case. And now you have President Trump. These are taxes, Brian. These are not, it's not the most complicated scenario, and yet they're getting outside people. It just shows you it is not equal justice under the law. And that's what disturbs me as a Democrat, a Republican, an independent. I'm talking about as an American. Right. That's what disturbs me. So Arthur Idell is a, a esteemed attorney, especially who knows New York and all the players. We have him in talking about the Trump's legal hurdles. So if people want to talk about politics. Even Mitt Romney came out and said he's the front runner. If he wants to win in 2024, no one's going to be able to take the nomination from him, and he hates him. So you know that's for real. But if he gets in legal trouble, that would actually cut pull the rug out from underneath him. It also remains unclear if prosecutors are going to go after Donald Trump Jr. and Eric. Today, it looks like they're looking into Donald Trump Jr. And and I think, you know, look, that's everyone's Achilles heel, right, of their, is their children. And, you know, you could go back to the storied uh, movie of The Godfather, and that's what made The Godfather come to the table. They killed his oldest son, and he didn't want his other children to be killed. So he said, okay, uh, basically I'll deal in narcotics, even though I don't, why, I don't want to do that. But so it's the same scenario. It is the absolute same organized crime type of scenario. If we can't get the main guy who we really want to do what we want and hear it go away, we'll attack his children. And, you know, I, I again, I am cautiously optimistic that Donald Trump Jr. and Eric and, and everyone around the Trump family and organization did things the right way. Even Michael Cohen, who was heavily investigated, what did he really go down for? For lying about how things were done. But we haven't heard anything about any criminal charges. And, fate, and let, unlike the president of the United States, any one of these law enforcement agencies could have charged Donald Trump Jr., could have charged Eric during the president of the United States' ten, uh, uh, tenure. But they haven't. So if they do so now, it's just going to reek, right. reek of injustice. And Arthur, yeah, we'll see, because uh, it looks as though Michael Cohen just said, I think President Trump is going to jail. So we'll see where that goes. Arthur, yeah, well, real quick. Says, on the Gov- guy who, says the guy who was in jail. Go right. ahead. <laughs> uh, Governor Cuomo, uh, is he in any tribe of trouble? I don't think so. I mean, it really has to do with how things were counted. Ultimately, ultimately, the amount of people who died in, the United, in New York State was reported accurately. It was just whether they were reported that they died in, the, in a nursing home or they were transferred from the nursing home and they died in the hospital. But he didn't hide, or his administration didn't hide, the number of actual deaths. So I think he's going to have plausible deniability, plausible explanations as to how the counting you know, you know, took place. And, you know, there's a lot of people gunning for Cuomo on both sides of the aisle because of his personality and and who he is. So ultimately, I think he's going his approval rating has gone down, I think, almost 10 points. Um, You know, he was a super superstar basically a year ago. It seems like that light has dimmed. But I don't think even though there's an investigation, I don't think they're going to find any criminality. Everything is not a crime, Brian, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Make politicians making decisions, whether they're Donald Trump or, or Andrew Cuomo, it's not always criminal or impeachable behavior. Sometimes it's just judgment, and people agree with it. People don't agree with it. Right. Obviously, he made a mistake when t- saying that nursing homes should accept people with the coronavirus. That's a mistake. I don't think I've heard him say that yet. He should say that was a mistake. We, 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 we messed up. Yeah. But I don't think he's going to say – I don't think anyone's going to say that they – 
ob- objectively lied on, on federal forms or objectively lied to federal investigators about who died where. They're going to have an explanation. He's right. too smart. Andrew Cuomo's too smart to do something so stupid. Well, he's done a lot of stupid things. He just never gets called on it. Uh, Arthur, thanks so much. Arthur Idella, we'll, keep, we'll continue up with this. Thank you for your service to America, Brian. <laughs> Thank you, Arthur. I, I can't afford him using as attorney, but I can't afford to put him on the show. Uh, Arthur Idella, thank you. one 408 7669 Back with your calls. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. So there are things, even if you're vaccinated, that you're not going to be able to do in society. For example, indoor dining, theaters, places where people congregate. That's because of the safety of society. You yourself, what you can do when you are together with another person, we are looking at that. Do you believe he said that? I I wanted to pull that sound, but I read it, but I wanted to actually hear it. So vaccinated, don't go to movies, don't go to indoor restaurants. 70% 70% of the entire population is vaccinated now. It's 80, 95% effective, and I can't order a burger indoors. James, listen on WNIS in Virginia Beach. James, this is ridiculous. What's on your mind? Good morning. I'm so sick of hearing about Donald Trump and his family and what they're going to do. They're going after him with committees. They're doing this. They're doing that, all the corruption. They want to find corruption. Go after the Biden family. Go after Joe Biden, Jim Biden, Hunter Biden, the Clintons. That's where the real corruption is. Leave this man alone. This was the best president the United States has ever seen. No, you might not like him because he wasn't presidential, but he did more for this country to keep us all safe, to keep a good economy going, to keep people working. And to this day, in my eyes, he will always be the best president. He will be hey, my James, president. Just, just to clarify, I just want to I want to know the legal uh, jeopardies in. So I'm not interested in wringing my hands over his court cases. I think it's totally out of bounds that they're going after him for things that happened even before he was president. If it was so bad, why aren't they going at him, uh, at him first? It's pure politics. That's exactly right, because he's successful. That's why. He did something that nobody said he could do. He was, he's a businessman, and he ran this country better than 10 politicians ever tried to do. That's his problem. That's the problem with, with, uh, with gotcha. President Trump. James uh, got a lot of supporters over there in Virginia Beach as the president. He'll be speaking on Sunday at CPAC, and we'll see. He's going to set the course of the party. A lot of people believe, and I'm one of them, he's got to bring everybody together, including people on his enemies list, if they want to win. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
This is Justin Rocket Zooman with The Daily. We're here in Far Rockaway, Queens, which shook the full force of Hurricane Sandy last week. I haven't seen this kind of destruction since the last time I was in Detroit. I'm uh, Congressman Gregory Meeks. You can walk up and down this place that we call the Rockaway Peninsula, and parts of it looks like it was hit by a bomb. So we were just talking about Hurricane Sandy and the damage was done in the Rockaways, Long Island, as well as New Jersey. Remember that, the famous hug that Governor Christie gave? But it meant a lot more to my next guest, Michael Patrick Smith, a folk singer, playwright, and author of a new book called The Good Hand, a memoir of work, brotherhood, and transformation in an American boomtown. Michael, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on, Brian. I appreciate it. So, Michael, what did that moment mean for you? What did you do when Sandy hit, and how did it change your life? Well, I've been living in uh, New York for uh, a little while, and I was working an office job. And uh, when uh, Sandy hit, I ended up doing a good bit of relief work. And so I was headed down to the Rockaways. I'd spent a lot of summers and had a great time down there on the beach. It was one of my favorite places. And uh, so I spent some time working there and uh, mostly knocking out walls for people, trying to to, uh, help them save their homes as well as get food to people and that kind of thing. And, and for me, it kind of reawakened my love of doing physical work, um, which is what led me to uh, head out to North Dakota to join the oil boom, which is the basis of my book. That is a huge leap. Not many people would do that. You like being <laughs> sore and dirty at the end of the day, right? I do, yeah. I love it, man. I like the feeling. I like working hard, and uh, now I'm enjoying working hard as a writer. But uh, it's definitely a different gig, but I like getting out there and uh, getting dirty, too, for sure. So you went to the fracking world in North Dakota. What did you find? Well, I went to a town called Williston, which had 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 about 12,000 people in it in 2008, 2009. And when I got there in 2013, it had upwards of 30, 40 uh, 50. The mayor said that he thought there were 60,000 people in town because so many men after the housing crash had sort of rolled into this uh, small rural community um, and turned it upside down looking for jobs and trying to uh, make money to send home to their families. So when you got there, you didn't have a job. You didn't necessarily have any skills. Did you find a job? I did, yeah. Uh, it took me a few weeks of knocking on doors, but I got a job um as a swamper for a rig moving company or oil rigs will set, you know, they're the size of skyscrapers, man. So they're like 160 feet tall, 180 feet tall. And uh, they'll sit on a wellhead for two and a half, about two and a half, three months. And then they need to be taken apart. They're kind of like giant Lego buildings. Um, and they're taken apart. They're loaded onto haul trucks, moved to another location and put back together. And so it was my job to, uh, I worked as a rigger, kind of pulling the pieces apart, throwing chains and hooks on everything, and uh, trying not to get my head knocked off. Right. Uh, So you didn't get your head knocked off. You were able to write about it, chronicle it. What were the types of people you were working around? Who were they? Uh, There was a pretty pretty wide range of people. You know, it was mostly uh, younger guys, uh, a lot of tough guys. Um, I worked with a good number of Native Americans. There were also um, uh, a group of Congolese guys that I met and worked with and, and became friends with. Um, and it was really all kinds of people. I would definitely say it was uh, geared a little bit more toward rough, rougher customers. <laughs> a lot of guys I knew then were in and out of jail and in and out of trouble. Um, but it was uh, also a lot of just people who were really doing their best to uh, send money to take to support their families. 
So you found out that, you know, you got to experience a boomtown and what it was like drilling oil and having a job. And you say people can relate to this who may be doing the same thing in Texas, Colorado, Wyoming, Louisiana, Montana, South Dakota, Mississippi, Pennsylvania. They all got into this fracking oil drilling. And America is now the number one exporter of oil uh, in the world. I mean, we became in the 1970s. They said it wasn't possible by, you know, by 2020. It's happening. What should people know before they eliminate oil and gas? It's not people think it's just about their car and maybe their homes. It's more than that. Yeah, well, you know, oil and gas is a part of everything. So it's in the paint on our walls. It's in our clothing. It's in our um, it's in the, uh, you know, the finish on our floors and it's in fertilizer for food. So figuring out a way to uh, use it responsibly um, while taking, while being good stewards of the environment is absolutely key moving forward. If you wipe it out and you stop drilling, let's say, on public land or pause it, what are you doing? Who are these people that are going to be hurt? Well, you know, the issue of public land is, is, sort of a, is sort of a different thing. I mean, the problem with a lot of the oil industry jobs is that they're temporary jobs to begin with. So, Something like the Keystone Pipeline is something that is really, you know, it's really the, the main beneficiaries of that. The Trans-Canada Keystone Pipeline are Canadians. <laughs> but there are, uh, there are um, in uh, North Dakota, for instance, um, they're currently burning off about 30 percent of the natural gas that's captured there. And uh, we could use pipelines in that area for certain, which would um, actually decrease the uh, – the amount okay. of methane released into the environment and give good, stable jobs, good, sustainable jobs for Americans. Right. Uh, and also those pipelines, Americans work on them. American steel was going to be used in it and it was going to have zero carbon footprint. And I think people's zest for green jobs are are destroying a, a big industry and taking away jobs from Americans. And you know what these people are like, right? You know the faces. Yeah. You have the names. Uh, I, yeah, I, I do know these people for sure. And I think that basically, you know, you need to put the, uh, the the green jobs that are the future need to be put in these same communities because the people who are working on pipelines have the same, have a good skill set that can transfer to these green jobs. So I think a good jobs program that um, that makes that transition possible for working people needs to be at the heart of any sort of uh, any sort of green transition. Yeah, I would think so. So Michael Patrick Smith is our guest. Uh, the book he wrote is called The Good Hand, a memoir of work, brotherhood, transformation in an American boomtown. Michael, what is it like to be in New York and be around so many people and then go to a place like North Dakota? It's a big culture shock along with your occupation, right? Yeah, it is a big culture shock. You know, I think I guess I'm kind of rare in the world right now and that I've got I've got sort of one foot in the city and one foot in the country but uh i've got a lot of great great friendships with people all across every kind of divide i'm really proud of that um and uh it's an it's an important it's an important part but there are definitely some some cultural differences <laughs> absolutely uh and what do you, can you describe what the boom has done to places like north dakota describe the industry that came up around it yeah i mean um you know, one of the powerful things and one of the sort of the scary things about boom towns is that they, they boom and they bust really, really fast. So North Dakota, um, you know, you, the locals there didn't really even recognize the town that I was in, which was uh, described as sort of a wild west town and really was. I mean, it was it was a wild place. Um, 
I, after I left in 2014, it went Saudi Arabia, uh, lowered the price of oil, and um, the town went bust. So last time I was there was a couple years ago. And in a lot of ways, it was it was back to just being kind of a normal, nice uh, Midwestern town. I know it was a lot easier on the locals. So, of course, they appreciate the, the money that rolls through. But um, pumping money into any place in that short period of time create, can create a dangerous environment as well. But you get hotels, you get shops that pop up all around there. You get a lot of bars and restaurants, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, the biggest thing was the uh, lack of housing that was available because there wasn't the infrastructure. So uh, it became more expensive to rent a room in northwest North Dakota when I was there than it was to rent a room in San Francisco. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, will you yeah, go back so- to it? What are you doing now? Uh, right now, I'm, I'm living in uh, Kentucky at the, at the moment, and I'm focused mostly on, uh, on writing. So I'm just working on this stuff, and, uh, and I play music, too. That's a big part of my life. So uh, those twin pursuits are, are, are how I'm spending most of my time for the time being. All right. So you talk about your latest job, but you've also been an event producer, driver, uh, stagehand, waiter, security guard, set fabricator, legal assistant, grocer, oil field hand, as we know, and now writer. The Good Hand is now out. It's your first book. So visit the website at thegoodhand.org. A lot of people think about it, talk about it. You actually did it and then wrote about it. Michael Patrick Smith, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Brian. I appreciate it. You got it. Best of luck. Oh, he's not afraid to work. We know that. one 408 7669 When we come back, uh, we'll be able to take your calls and find out if there's maybe, perhaps, more to know. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, Appreciate everybody tuning in, and the ratings continue to go up around the country, especially here in New York, and we truly appreciate it. Arthur Idell and that New York accent will certainly help uh, that. But it's very important from St. Louis to Orlando to Jacksonville uh, to uh, Indiana. We really appreciate everybody uh, tuning in to, of course, Texas, where I imagine we took a hit because they took a hit. So, uh, And that is, uh, we just gave you a real-life look at somebody that decides, I'm going to go and work in the oil fields. And that was the backbone of America. Let's find out if there's indeed more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, let's begin. Governor Ron DeSantis makes it official, announcing he will lower the flags for Floridian resident Rush Limbaugh after his passing uh, last week. Quote, what he is doing is bending over backwards to honor a radio host who spent his entire career talking hate speech and talking bigotry and division and conspiracy theories. That's not somebody who wants to salute Rush. That is the the state's agricultural commissioner, Nikki Freed. Just goes to show you, you can't please everyone, even in death. The guy was nice, interesting, conservative. That's not hate speech. The lowering of flags should be unifying, she says, during the solemn occasion, such as remembrance of the young lives lost to the Parkland High School massacre. Nobody's saying it shouldn't be uh, lowered there. But I also think not only did Rush make a huge impact with the country and, of course, uh, with Republicans and conservatives, but he was one of the first to move to Florida and leaving New York and saying, I want to keep my money. Derek Jeter would be somebody and many others listening right now in Florida are saying, I did the same thing. 
Next, Hillary Clinton co-writing an international political thriller with Trump overtures set for an October release at Simon & Schuster. What is wrong with her? Why did, can't she ever get over Trump? No, and she can't just go away. She's going to do it. We got, we're going to get to hear her do all different interviews, but I guess the good thing is we'll probably get some obnoxious sound bites to play to raise your blood pressure. Right, and everybody, uh, I, I actually skip over. You know how many stories of her I skip over and don't even acknowledge? Because she's done. Why did not she admit she lost? you realize all her complaining hurt all the Democrats who wanted to mock Trump? Because she never admitted he was legitimate, always thought the Russians tilted it. And when she said the Russians affected the actual vote total, and then the Democrats come out and say they didn't affect, they never have affected vote totals, that made them look bad. But uh, she made really embarrassed herself in her career, and she also destroyed her husband's reputation. <laughs> right. I think he helped to do that on his own, too. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> According to the synopsis, the novice Secretary of State who joins the administration of a political rival, inaugurated after four years of American leadership that shrank from the world stage. I wonder where she got that from. Next. Ted Cruz says his wife is pretty pissed off over leaked Texas uh, text messages about her Cancun trip. Quote, I will say Heidi was pretty blank that at that. All right. She texted several of our neighbors and said, we've got uh, a number of Republicans who are our neighbors. but We also have a number of Democrats. And somehow that got out. She said, we're freezing. She invited everyone to go to the Ritz-Carlton in Cancun. Terrible move for Senator Cruz, right? Oh, it was very tone deaf on his part. At the same time, I could understand how his wife would be annoyed at her friends for leaking that out. Right. Uh, but he should, uh, I, I don't know, did she make him feel bad about not going? How dare you leave me? How would he not know? I mean, how would he not instinctively know that he should stick around? Didn't he have hearings to go to? Was he going to do it remote and expect to pull that off in Cancun? I don't know. He should have known not to go. I mean, it, it seems pretty obvious, especially after, you know, story after story about the hypocrisy of Dems, right? Saying don't do this and then travel. Granted, he wasn't saying not to do that, but Texas was in a bit but of he a... he went after the mayor of Austin when he went to Cabo yep. and told everyone not to. But here's what he did. He did interviews right away. He's done them since. He went to the local newspaper. He went to Sean Hannity's show. He said, listen, this is what I did. Made a mistake there. Uh, but I think when they mock him on SNL and make him a big subject of the material on MSNBC and CNN, that actually helps him because it's clearly over the top. Well, I agree, and it does show how, and to add to that, that they spend more time on Ted Cruz doing that as opposed to Cuomo yeah. killing people in nursing homes. It just shows you how they are not truly covering the news and what matters. Next. Lion Ted. Black Lives Matter opens up its books for the first time. It took in $90 million in 2020. The organization reported looking to build out its infrastructure to catch up to the speed of its funding and plans to use its endowment to become known for more than protests related to black Americans dying at the hands of police. Quote, we want to uplift black joy and liberation, not just black death. We want to see black communities thriving, not just surviving. The foundation told the AP that it's committed $21.7 million in grant funding to official and unofficial BLM chapters as well as 30 uh, black-led organizations. So much of that money went to Democrats, right? I believe so. But then also, I mean, the point about, you know, helping people who were killed at the hands of the police. I don't know if you saw Tucker last night, but the numbers of, you know, people to the far left who um, think that black um, African-Americans were murdered by or killed by police is like in the thousands. And the actual number is like 27. Yes, it's crazy. Yeah. So that's that's the truth. Uh, but you wouldn't think that's the perception. Next. Packers great Aaron Rodgers and Shalene Woodley, who I've never met, have been engaged for a while. I have to learn more about this. 
You, I guess you do. I mean, you. I'm not surprised you've never met her, but she was in like Big Little Lies. She's in a bunch of bunch of really? things. I believe she's pretty liberal. Let's listen. We got engaged a while ago, and he's first off just a wonderful, incredible human being. But I never thought I'd be engaged with somebody who threw balls for a living. <laughs> like I never thought as a little girl, I was like, yeah, when I grow up, I'm gonna marry someone who who throws balls. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but he's really just so good at it. Well, she, I, uh, uh, that's funny. Uh, that is Jimmy Fallon overreacting again on the tonight show. Uh, she was talking to him, obviously not in person. He's really struggled, uh, but seems like a nice guy. Uh, so Aaron Rodgers is also going to be hosting jeopardy for 10 straight days. Ten straight shows. Two weeks. Wow. Wow. That didn't, yeah, I know it's pretty, that's right. So maybe he can that. do more than throw balls. Right. She's really into that. Do you think she was doing that for the double entendre, or does she know that little about sports? Because she was really I awkward mean, in talking about sports. She has said that she doesn't know much and that she's learning more every day. Right. So she does know a little, not much, anything she was So she likes him it. from the state because of the State Farm commercials. Could be. Ah. Or just who he is as a person. Right. But he is like a genius as a quarterback, and he's understated. But uh, he's very handsome. Don't you think he's handsome? A very handsome guy. He's got, like, the facial scruff going on. You like that. I mean, it works on him. Not all guys. Right. Not all guys can pull that off. Right. I, and you're looking at me. And, and Ted Cruz, uh-uh. Right. <laughs> I actually think he looks better with facial hair. But Do I don't feel comfortable talking so much about men's looks. <laughs> Let's talk about another man. Next. A signed 1933 Babe Ruth baseball card sold for $761,000. That's pretty cool. Uh, that has compared, it's got a grade, uh, an eight grade on the autograph compared to a 4.5 to 6 grade for the card that's sold in 2020. But the only number that matters is one, as in the $1 million both cards have netted Uncle Jimmy's family. And evidently, Uncle Jimmy sold the picture of Bambino for six times that. And who is Uncle Jimmy, you ask? Jimmy Missoni, a noted card collector from Jersey who died last March and left his near-mint collection to his family. That's cool. They've since been selling the cards for some insane prices. That's, I mean, Babe Ruth doesn't get better than that. Everybody knows who Babe Ruth is. Even I do. <laughs> Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. 1-866-408-7669. Proud to come to you from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Jesse Waters is going to be here. Uh, also, people who fit under the category of endlessly sexy, Jesse Waters and Joe Bastardi will be here. He also fits under that category. All things weather-related and global climate change-related. He tells it like it is. It takes people off, and he does it in such a conversational, learned way. We all learn something when he's on. So we're lucky enough to have him in about 15 minutes. First, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. In my experience as a deputy who is traffic trained and works a traffic car, um, I have seen many collisions. The, the nature of his vehicle, the fact that he was wearing a seatbelt, um, I, I would say that it greatly increased the likelihood that it saved his life. Could have been a lot worse. Yep, much worse. A horrific one-car accident leaves Tiger Woods struggling with severe leg injuries. And details reveal America got very close to losing another sports legend way too soon. 
Number two. Their kids were ripped from their arms and separated. And now they cannot find over 500 of sets of those parents, and those kids are alone. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. It's criminal. Yeah, a lot of them came alone with people that were not their parents that weren't alone. Easy to be a critic. It's a lot harder to be a president. Joe Biden's unforced calamity at the border has put uh, put minors in some facilities he condemned uh, Trump for doing as more migrants flood in an overwhelmed border. It's only going to get worse. I've seen this movie before, and it ends terribly. Number one. The problem, I think, with Dr. Fauci is not so much with him, him as it is with our failure as a society to recognize that he is a, an expert in a narrow field. When they talk about follow the science, the question becomes, well, which science? So smart. Brit Hume, the Fauci follies. 60 days to bend the curve has turned into two years with a mask and maybe a lifetime without a job. Follow the science is heading is leading the nation off a cliff. Isn't psychology a science, too? Also, great news on the vaccine front. Looks like Johnson & Johnson's got preliminary green light. We could be seeing the single shot everywhere. And in New York in particular, as I put on the more to know in a New York Minute brought to you for Tunnel for Towers, as you'll see, they're going to start bringing shut-ins, the single shot. It's a lot easier. And they use, I understand, the more traditional vaccine of the vaccine itself as opposed to the uh, RNA that they're using now that is even more effective. This will be about 72% effective. But one shot, you're done. You don't need the deep refrigeration and freezing. So that's all good news. The number of deaths, hospitalizations, all good news. Uh, We have states going down. The numbers are going down in terms of infections in, I think, 48 of 50 states. This is good news. But we don't hear that because the Democrats, in my humble opinion, are too caught up on nailing and ramming through a rescue package of a stunning $1.9 trillion. To put it in perspective, when the economy crashed— And because of the housing market and everything else in 2008, remember, Hank Paulson and President Trump were able to get together with Nancy Pelosi. And then when Barack Obama takes over to stimulate the economy, he got $800 billion. We couldn't believe it's almost a trillion. Now, after putting $4 trillion into rescuing and paying people not to work, he wants another $2 trillion after just getting $900 billion one month ago. And some of the stuff there, it's $100 million for the arts, money for bridges, tunnels for San Francisco, money for languages, stuff that has nothing to do with pandemics. And your life is jammed through there. So that's what we're witnessing right now. But the Biden administration does not want to talk about the positive. They accuse Donald Trump of only wanting to talk about the positive, saying it's just going to go away. And maybe that wasn't the smartest thing. But what I'm hearing now from Anthony Fauci, I know is not the smartest thing because he's not putting practicality into it. Anytime I see an epidemiologist, whether it's Anthony Fauci or somebody else, I want to see a psychologist. I want to see a sociologist because the numbers of kids uh, and adults, young teens who are Having suicidal thoughts are skyrocketing. Not only that, it is on the front page of the New York Times. You don't want to believe me. They talk to experts. They say uh, there's an increase of 25% of people saying they are having suicidal thoughts. Kids. They are now saying the ER is now being brought. Teens are being going to the ER. Why? Because psychiatric beds are all filled up with kids who just can't handle being shut in and cut off. They're not able to handle the learning and lack of socialization. We are traumatizing our kids. So when you say that there's a 99.7% chance that a kid will get this and beat it, I'm not going to take that chance. I'm not going to send them to school. That's criminal. 
And you should have a psychologist saying today, excuse me, epidemiologist, don't make a news anchor say it. I will take that risk. I will recommend to parents and teachers take that risk. Kids got to get back in school. And if teachers don't want to go, we work out a way in which they get paid for a year not to work. I don't care. I will have a GoFundMe page for teachers that have comorbid uh, or too worried about it or have uh, living with a senior citizen uh, who's in the last lap of life and they don't want to take the risk. I want to help those teachers out. But the ones that just don't want to go back and are mocking parents like they did in San Francisco, yeah, in the Oakland, San Francisco area, who were caught on camera mocking parents saying you just want your expensive babysitters, or blaming white parents in another Bay Area community because you just want uh, you just want your entitled kids to be more entitled in school, blaming whiteness. Get this, 67,000 primary care pediatricians have gotten together and are demanding that schools open up for in-person learning. The Children's Hospital Association has asked the administration, along with lawmakers, to provide whatever funds necessary to put the kids back in school. This is an emergency. There's a 40% increase in behavioral disorders, overall a 20% increase in suicidal attempts, let alone, sadly, the ones that are successful. Listen to what Anthony Fauci said for people vaccinated, seniors vaccinated. By the way, I'm not just focusing on kids. Seniors, when life slows down and you can only you can only do a fraction of what you used to, and one of the great joys in life of seeing your family and friends and you're denied playing cards with your neighbor or going to see your grandchildren on the weekends or at church, listen to what Anthony Fauci says, despite the fact that we got these cutting-edge vaccinations. So there are things, even if you're vaccinated, that you're not going to be able to do in society. For example, indoor dining, theaters, places where people congregate. That's because of the safety of society. You yourself, what you can do when you are together with another person, we are looking at that. What are you looking at? We've had this stuff out for four months now. What are you looking at? You're, it's, we aren't, we're not even used to vaccines that are 95% successful, and we've lived a pretty good life. We made our own decisions, right or wrong, but now we can't make decisions. How do you justify shutting down schools when they're open? Parochial schools are open in California. It's the public schools that aren't, and they're working. When you look in Florida and Tennessee, Louisiana, portions of New York, in Texas, and you see that they're pulling it off and your numbers are better than yours in California, how do you rationalize saying without science and without answering the question of why you're shutting down schools and sports, you refuse to show the science. Now you got to get sued to open. And Gavin Newsom, you wonder why you're being ridiculed, uh, recalled. And now uh, Governor Cuomo, thankfully the Emmy Award-winning best-selling author, who likes to blame Donald Trump for everything that he thinks went wrong, he now has 49% approval rating. It was at 72% because people realize what he's doing. He's a he's a uh, he is a power mad governor who has alienated every Republican and almost all Democrats because he tries to act like a thug and call them up and berate them. And this liberal Democrat from Queens is the latest. And now, right now, as I speak, Janice Dean and he, this Assemblyman Kim, who was berated last week into the point where his wife overheard Governor Cuomo screaming at her husband and was rattled. And then he called all weekend to say, how dare you speak out against me? I hear you've done some things with nail salons that are unsavory. Maybe we're going to make that public. What do you think? You're Al Pacino, your best friend, playing some move, some uh, Martin Scorsese movie? This is real life. Even Alec Baldwin came out and said, if this is true, he should resign. He's not. But Brit Hume, 
Put it great. Cut six. The problem, I think, with Dr. Fauci is not so much with him, him as it is with our failure as a society to recognize that he is a, an expert in a narrow field. He's an epidemiologist. His job is to fight this disease. Uh, he's not a, uh, an expert in child psychology or children's education. He's not an authority on the U.S. economy and the damage that may be done to it. That's not in his bailiwick. When they talk about, you know, follow the science, the question becomes, well, which science? You know, economics is a science. Cardiology is a, is a branch of science. And if you listen to only some scientists, instead of looking, you know, through a broader lens, uh, you end up with the kinds of policy decisions that we've made. Yeah, and, and it's such great. And I'll add this, another psycho- psychological science. And if I'm Anthony Fauci, I don't want that responsibility of telling people to go visit their, uh, visit their relatives. Let an expert do that and say, well, the downside is this is massive depression at end of life, is heart attacks. People die of loneliness. Yeah, in three months, I understand maybe that's not going to happen. But now it's over a year. And now you gave us a vaccine. You ridicule the president that got you that vaccine, by the way. Every chance you get still. Basically blamed him for the deaths of thousands. But you keep covering for this president, and you want us to think politics is not playing a role in your, in your science? Jack Calvin-Ortinos is a, um, is a former senior HHS official in the Bush and Trump administrations. He, he weighed in on this cutting. I think sometimes when people get frustrated with, uh, you know, Dr. Fauci, who has such an amazing career and he's so well respected, is I think sometimes people are searching for a single federal official who will look very broadly at all of the impacts, whether it's on mental health, whether it's on kids, whether it's on the economy, and look sort of holistically as opposed to let's only look at at the restrictions uh, that some believe need to be put in place because of COVID. Very magnanimous of him. A little bit later, an MSNBC doctor who said, Brian Kilmeade is right. It's never happened before. I don't know what's more unlikely, landing a probe with a helicopter on Mars or a doctor on MSNBC saying Brian Kilmeade's right. Both happened. <laughs> I'm going to back with Joe Bastardi next. We're going to make sense of global warming, climate change. Is the world really going to end in 12 years? This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, the migration that we saw out of Syria for their civil war, which was uh, somewhat weather dependent, we're going to have 10 times as much migration because the equatorial areas will become unlivable. You won't be able to farm or uh, go outside uh, during the summer. The wildfires, the, you know, even the farming productivity in the south of the U.S., the droughts uh, will uh, reduce productivity very dramatically. That is uh, Bill Gates. He knows everything, and he's really smart, and he talks like he does, and he wears nice sweaters. So the world's going to end. We're not going to be able to go outside soon. So i got to get outside right after the show. you got to remind me. Joe Bestardi joins us now, co-chief meteorologist at Weather Bell. Uh, he has got a great book out, Weaponization of Weather and Phony Climate War. Joe, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you had a buddy of mine on Fox & Friends, John Hanrahan. 
He oh. wrestled at Penn State. I wrestled at Penn State. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> it was just kind of funny. He's a lot better looking than me, though. So, well, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I don't think so. And Allison doesn't think so. And I would add this: John Hanrahan, <laughs> who is a, a great wrestler and overcame uh, uh, drugs and can end up coming, basically almost died and came all the way back. He's got a great message for people who are getting hooked, especially on this uh, opioids and things that we're seeing right yeah. now. So I had a great message, yeah. Joe. Yeah, and you you look like a wrestler. And Mike Doherty, uh, listening probably, a, a New Yorker, also wrestled at Penn State with Chris Bevilacqua so, right. and I Tony Bobolinski. Uh, uh, Mike Bevilacqua is my uh, my kid's godfather. Right? I know the Bevilacquas. What is it in the water in Massapequa? I mean, you got a lot of famous people come out of Massapequa. Seinfeld's out of there. Baldwin's. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the Baldwin's. That's right. Well, Billy's a nice guy. I've met Billy a couple of times. You know, we we uh, we tend to stay away from uh, certain issues. So <laughs> right, Billy's really into wrestling too. As uh, and Stephen and. Uh, Alec famously and yep. Danny. Uh, but, Joe, can we talk about this now? Do you really think we're not going to be able to yeah. go outside in 10 years? You know, that that reveals uh, the lack of knowledge as to the nature of heat. Uh, the, the real warming is occurring in the Arctic regions during its winter time. There's been no discernible warming. Uh, but maybe you can uh, maybe you could discern one-tenth of a degree Celsius over a 30-year period in the tropical areas, and that's because... Uh, the fact that the hotter it is, the harder it is to get hotter. Think about it. On a, on a clear, calm, cold night, if you're driving around uh, well, outside the city, the temperature will bounce up and down because slight variations in the amount of energy right. in the atmosphere will cause the temperature to go up and down. Remember, temperature is a measure of energy. When it's very, very hot and humid, the air is well mixed. And you have to keep pushing even warmer air, even higher energy levels into that. And there's only a certain limitation that that that, that well, there's a limitation to how warm it can get. And what they're trying to push is this whole feedback idea that you know we reach a tipping point, we just go off into space someplace, and that does not make any sense. There's something called La Chatière's principle, okay? Bring this up at the water cooler, you really have people rolling their eyes. But it states that any system, any system tries to return to an equilibrium when something is introduced to it. So the carbon dioxide has been introduced into the atmosphere. It's likely had uh, some degree of effect, but as Dr. Will Happer at Princeton has said, I think Dr. Will Happer knows a little bit more about this than Bill Gates, respectfully. Uh, the limitations of CO2's effects on temperature are probably reaching their limit now. We've probably seen that now. By the way, another place where CO2 is introduced into the atmosphere, and in my book I have a chapter on how to get rid of the whole problem, and believe it or not, it's the Republicans that had the Trillion Tree Project out. You plant a trillion trees globally, you will offset the amount of CO2 into the atmosphere that goes on. And you can see that, Brian, every year if you look at this. But uh, so what's going on, you know, Joe? You, you have solutions, and you're talking rationally, but now it's almost like a green religion. Is Texas well, get, did guess, Texas but, get frozen over, and did the wildfires start because of climate change? Well, no, that's – that. Listen, any anything can uh, any any argument can be made for anything based on the large degree of variability in the atmosphere. You could say, well, Texas got frozen over because uh, you know there was a moth and 
in the house in uh, Ypsilanti or something. I mean, you can you can do that. That's far fetched, of course. But no, uh, you know, five days before we had maps from 1899. I was put it. You know, I was, I was getting all my media contacts ready and uh, the best I could. And uh, my company, Weatherbell.com, got way out in front of this because we have clients. We have people that pay us to give them an advantage on the weather. So we have energy clients. We have salt. Co- I, I have a I have a great client here on, uh, on Long Island. It's a, a salt fighting, uh, a salt uh, snow fighting client. So we get them ready before, way before, because no one's going to pay you to tell you the why after the what. They pay you to tell you the why before the what. So you know, I use that term. I put eighteen ninety nine on. Said worst five day period of weather in Texas history. And then I, I, you know, I pulled out the stop, so I said, this is the wintertime equivalent of a Cat 5 hurricane. The total amount of damage is going to be done and the, uh, the implication on life. Now, it's not like a bulldozer coming in off the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. But the fact is, it's a different type of beast, and you have to get out front. We uh, could have stopped this, Brian. Joe, we got, we i got to have you back it. to talk about this because this is not going away. The weaponization of weather and phony climate war. Joe Bastardi, follow him at Big Joe Bastardi. Thanks, Joe. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jesse, there's so many things that people misunderstand about you. So just try to stick to the biggest it's, one. Uh, yeah, hard to narrow it down. If you look at the caricature of myself in the mainstream media, I'm an idiot. I'm a frat boy drunk. <laughs> I'm homophobic. <laughs> I'm misogynistic. Pretty much. I'm a bootlicker. Did I say shallow and superficial? <laughs> that might be true. That, that, that might not be much of a misunderstanding. They also say you're good looking. Jesse Waters, co-host of The Five, having fun on Friday, was saying how he's misportrayed as a person. So, Jesse, I want to give you the radio airwaves to clarify who you are. Who are you? Who are you really? (laughs) Well, I am a a good-looking person. You are. That was a cheap shot by Jillian Turner. I can't believe she's got that reputation. You, and, you know, if I had said that about a woman, oh, oh, oh boy, <laughs> I, I don't think I'd be on your show right now, Brian. Absolutely not. But thank thank you for giving me the opportunity to clear the air. I am I am a warm and cuddly and fuzzy individual who is deeply empathetic and 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 cares so much about everybody else. Now, we don't hang out. We don't hang out much. But We're I do know the one time I hung out with you, it ended up in a brawl. You remember that? <laughs> About the correspondence dinner? Yeah. There that night. Yeah. <laughs> it shows you how much I had to drink. Right. Um, <laughs> did you help break it up or did you watch? I did. I did. Yeah, I, I helped break helped. it up, um, pull you guys apart. It was a little crazy. It wasn't anything to speak of. It was no brawl. It was some pushing and shoving. And, really? Um, I, I didn't end up on the floor. Someone else did. True. So, Jesse. I think that this whole week, first off, I know you had a certain show, and then you had to have a different show because of Tiger Woods. Uh, yes. At least, you know, thankfully, the more we find out about this accident, the more we realize how lucky he was, you know, to flip over, to wear your seatbelt, to have that SUV and not a different vehicle. They're going to sell yeah. a whole bunch of these cars now. And then to not hit a pole or a tree. I mean, or else he does. he has more than just a leg operation now. It could be over. I think it's over. 
just looking at the injuries, he fractured, I think, his tibia, his fibia, compound fractures. They inserted a metal rod and some screws. His leg's going to look like RoboCop when he gets out of surgery. You know, in golf, you, do you play golf, Brian? Not well. Well, me neither. But I think it was Jack Nicklaus who said golfers' legs is basically what makes them a great golfer. It, all your power comes from your legs. And he's already had what, four knee surgeries, and it's not just about the power off the tee. You know, you're walking 18 holes when you're a professional. I mean, you get to age 45, you're walking 18 holes, you're out there for three hours. It's a lot of walking. Absolutely. I, mean, I get tired after 18 holes just on a cart, and I don't, I don't walk. So, you know, I, I just don't think he'll be able to come back from this, although he's come back from a lot before in his career. Just looking at the, the gruesome injuries – it's it's going to be a tough hill to climb. No doubt about it. Here's uh, here's what they found. Here's Carlos Gonzalez, uh, the L.A. County Sheriff deputy, cut 18. In my experience as a deputy who is traffic trained and works a traffic car, um, I have seen many collisions. The the nature of his vehicle, the fact that he was wearing a seatbelt, um, I, I would say that it greatly increased the likelihood that it saved his life. The 2021 Genesis GV80 SUV is being sold. I'm sure they can't keep it on the lot right now because that's that's what encased him and protected him. Uh, and real quick, this is what they say happened. He had uh, upper and lower portions of his tibia and fibula bones were stabilized by inserting rods in the tibia. Additional injuries to the bones of the foot and ankle were stabilized the combination of screws and pins, but just in one leg. And people have pointed out to... Alex Smith, they say, was very similar to the quarterback of the Washington Football Club, and and he yeah. had a staph infection. So if they can keep him infection free, maybe you know, even though he's forty five, not thirty five, we'll see what happens. But at least we don't have a Kobe Bryant situation to discuss because, like Kobe, this guy is an out of this world athlete and personality. It was a close call, and the airbags deployed. I think that's what saved his life. We don't know if he was texting or looking at his phone or just speeding and was unfamiliar with the terrain. But that luxury SUV, the Hyundai, that he had a loaner for for the tournament for the weekend, uh, if he was in a different type of car, say some other dealership sponsored that tournament. Say they gave him a Corvette. I mean, he doesn't survive. It's just because it was a big car and it flipped and airbag went off, seatbelt was on. And he managed to survive. And, I, you know, I just pray for the guy because he's gone through so much. He, his body was breaking down, though, Brian. If you're, when you start swinging a club that ferociously at age two, and then you're 45, so you've been ferociously swinging this golf club, which isn't a natural swing for the right. human body. Human body is not designed to swing that, that hard, a club like that. You do that for 43 years, your entire career. Your body breaks down, and and I feel like this might just be the the nail in the coffin to just an amazing career. I don't think he's going to tie Jack Nicklaus with 18 majors, unfortunately. Right. I read Jeff Benedict's book on him. It's really thorough, and that movie, I saw the movie, too, on him. And look, uh, he grew up in the limelight. He's a genius, and and he's chasing perfection, and he reached there a couple of times. I don't know what that's like to be that good at anything, uh, but I like where he is right now. We've seen you on Fox and Friends. You're the Tiger Woods of Fox and Friends. You know what? Normally I'd correct you, but I have to say you're 100% right. So right. Uh, the president's going to be speaking on Sunday at CPAC. First time we've seen him speak, and we haven't seen his tweets because he's been banned, which is another conversation. Uh, right. and speak. He is, 
He says he's the presumptive 2024 nominee. This is what Newt Gingrich is hoping to hear on Sunday. Then I want to find out what Jesse Waters is hoping to hear. Cut 44. He has a wonderful opportunity here to begin to rebrand himself, communicate the strengths of his policies, and do it in a way which is positive and appealing and a dramatic contrast uh, to the confusion that you alluded to earlier that seems to be the Biden uh, standpoint. I also hope, frankly, he'll focus on 2022, not 2024. Every Republican ought to be focusing on how do we get, make sure that McCarthy is the Speaker of the House and that McConnell is the Senate Majority Leader. Let's get through 22. We have lots of time to talk presidency after 2022. So what do you think you'll hear? What do you hope to hear? Well, I don't think he should look back on the election. If you hear a lot about what happened on November 8th and, and the, the remaining months and all the litigation and all those theories about fraud, I, I think that's going to it's going to be divisive. But it's also going to say that he has not psychologically gotten over the election and it's going to seem like sour grapes. But if he looks back towards his accomplishments, because those three years before the pandemic hit, probably he packed in two terms in one in terms of foreign policy, domestic policy, trade tax cuts, judges, immigration, everything. If he can contrast himself and rebrand himself like he did with The Art of the Comeback, an, an incredible book, as someone who is, has learned from the mistakes of the first term, the divisiveness, the combativeness, the, the brawl with the press. And I know that's invigorating to a lot of people in the base, and it was to me, absolutely. But if he can almost be not a grandfather, but a, in terms, like a fatherly figure, someone who's hopeful, who's optimistic, who doesn't need to, to tweet constantly, who can kind of take it easy a little bit. I think the Twitter hiatus has probably been good for him. And I think less is more if he, if he does this again, because you don't want to be in everyone's face 24-7. We did that. It was great. But I think the country voted for Joe Biden because they wanted a breather. They wanted a return to normalcy. They didn't want the Trump show. But Biden's going to boot it. You know it's going to happen. He doesn't have what it takes to cut it as commander-in-chief. So there's going to be a desire to get back to a Trump economy, which was red hot. You saw wages up almost 8,000 for the average family in three years, and poverty rate to the lowest level for everyone that we've seen since they started recording it. I think those things um, people are going to be reminiscent about, and they're going to want to return to that. So if he could rebrand himself in a more positive way, um, I think that's going to, that'll be helpful for his, um, for his, I guess, seeking the nomination, which he will get if he decides to run. I'm pretty sure he's got to bring up a couple of things, three things that he told everyone's going to happen. They got to stop drilling oil and gas. They've already frozen, paused oil and gas on public lands. We also saw what happened with the pipeline right away, thousands of jobs, just like he said. And then you see what's happening at the border, a self-inflicted wound for Joe Biden, a catastrophe yeah, is building there. Brian, so I think he'll bring all that up. He's not going to do much. He's not, because you're going to, gas prices are already up. I think they're up 30 to 40 cents on average since when Biden took over. You're going to see gas prices in the $3 range probably by the end of the year. You're going to see a crisis at the southern border, a refugee crisis. It's there right now. And, and who knows what's going to happen in the Mideast? You know, that's going to rattle the American people's consciousness. 
So you're, and, and if you continue with these draconian lockdowns past the point where it's necessary, if you, know, if you have herd immunity, if you have Biden and Fauci out there mandating masks and telling people with vaccinations that they can't see their grandchildren or go, can't go out to dinner, you're gonna, you're, you're, there's, Trump is going to just sit pretty. And, you, and you're going to look at those three years pre-pandemic of the Trump era and you said, yeah, there was drama. The life was good. But, and but now life's he, not so good. Life's Jesse, a lot more expensive. Will he roll up his sleeves to these districts and try to deliver those 10 seats in the House? Will he actually do that? Will he try to primary people that voted uh, to impeach him? Will he use this time to, to go be, after Liz Cheney? I don't want Cheney. it to be a vengeance campaign. Yes. When you start getting into vengeance, then it just looks personal and it looks petty. But, you know, the guy can raise money like no one else, and, and, and he can go into places where he can be helpful, and he can turn out the vote, absolutely, and make a difference in, in, in tight races. So, yeah, I, I want to see him active and fundraising and activated and, and, and getting behind the Republican Party because the Republican mm. Party needs him. Now, that's what you want. Real quick, what do you think he'll do? <laughs> There's always a chance that he goes <laughs> scorched earth and— and tries to take out people that were unfriendly to him. And listen, that's politics. And he's very into loyalty. And, and obviously he's going to um, – he still has negative feelings towards people in Congress. But in terms of his future, in terms if, – if he wants to make it personal, I think personally yes. and professionally, if he takes the long view of it, he shouldn't get down into that kind of scene. He should, he should, think, he right. should think a little bit bigger. Let's hope, Uh, because I think the country would have been much better off with him as president. Uh, I also think uh, he had his agenda all mapped out, and I think I'm getting the sense he doesn't like to lose. I want want you to hear what Mitt Romney said. Will President Trump continue to play a role in my party? I'm sure he will. He he has by far the largest voice and a big impact in my party. I don't know if he'll run in 2024 or not, but if he does, I'm pretty sure he will win the nomination. You, You shocked to hear that? No, because Mitt has Mitt knows politics and he understands the political reality of the Republican primary voter. And and it's true. What is Trump favorability? What, 85, 90 percent, something like that with the Republican Party? My only concern is the media has done such a number on this guy. They made him out to be this huge villain, this murderer, killing 500,000 Americans. Now he's, you know, this this. Benedict Arnold, insurrection leader, and you know corporate America soured on him. I'm I'm worried that it, does he have the? Can he peel off enough independence in 2024? Is he commercially yep. viable enough in 2024 after after what they've done to this poor guy? Um, we'll see. You know he he can rehab himself absolutely, yep. and there might be a big desire to get him back in there. But um, you know his brand has been tarnished, no doubt by the insurrection, even though I don't think he, he was personally responsible for that. A question for you. What is more unlikely, us landing a probe on Mars equipped with a helicopter to map out the surface or an MSNBC, uh, a segment with MSNBC with a doctor affiliated with the Biden uh, COVID-19 task force praising me? What is more unlikely? I would go with Mars, but t- what do you have here? Let's listen. 
I want to play something for you from Fox News this morning that people are thinking about because they're trying to figure out how to live their lives in the post-vaccine world. I'll ask your opinion on it on the other side. Mike's parents are 80 years old. They got vaccinated. Can they go see their grandkids? You know what the answer is? Yes. You know why? Because you just explained to them. The vaccine's 94% effective. The chances of a kid getting it and being uh, falling ill are, are infinitesimal. Michael, is he right or wrong? I think he's right. Uh, we have to learn to live with this virus in a way that we haven't to date. Jesse, um, I think I found you one more thing. <laughs> Did I find you one more thing just now? I'm going to have to swap out my one more thing. That's gold. <laughs> Good for you. I mean, I mean you, it's not like you said anything that you wouldn't have said normally. I mean, that's that's the truth. I say it every day. I mean, the fact that, yeah, I mean, that's the truth. And if, and if they agree with that, then it's, it's overwhelmingly true. If not, you can Come give on. it to one. What, did Fauci actually, I mean, Fauci actually said that, right? Yeah, he said, don't go visit. get vaccinated, they can't see their grandkids. Of you course not. you kidding me, right? Yeah. Well, what, what's, his, what's the reason? Because what's the reason? we're just not sure yet. We're just not and sure not yet. Sure? Take your time. He hasn't been sure about a lot of things, Fauci. He's, he's the worst. Jesse, you're the best. Co-host of the <laughs> five, you. but uh, more important, uh, Waters World, Saturday at 8 o'clock. Thanks so much for you're joining, welcome. Jesse. One day I'll hope to see you in person. <laughs> I can't wait. As soon as Dr. Fauci says it's okay, I will see Jesse. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Are you feeling any regrets, though, now that the president has unfollowed you? <laughs> no, I feel free. You do? <laughs> Did this kind of, like, start as a joke, though, and then they took it seriously? No, I mean, it's not even, he's not, there's no chance he's even on that account um, at all. No, that's strictly business, so it's okay, I realize that, it's just funny. You don't think you're going to be asking Biden to follow you again, do you? <laughs> no, I sh- I'm sure if I ever even get to speak with him, he has no clue that he ever followed me in the first place. And that was a weird thing that you picked up on, that Joe Biden has very few people that he follows, but one of them was Christy Teigen. It, to- it's so, it made her so self-aware she was afraid to tweet because she thought the president's going to be watching. She said, I voted for you, but please unfriend me, and he did. Correct. They followed like 12 people. They followed her. She made 13, and now she's back to 12, and she is free. So thank you for uh, occupying the president's time, even though he probably doesn't touch that account. All right. I don't know how much time I have, but listen. Eric, you got to help me with this because I know you're interested. American Airlines is not denying a UFO spotting and says they talked to the FBI. The pilot called it, it looked like a cruise missile type of thing. This was in the um, FoxNews.com today. The American Airlines passenger traveling jet from Cincinnati to Phoenix. He captured a UFO over northeastern New Mexico. Again, New Mexico. Sunday afternoon, the pilot on the flight 2292 radioed around 1 p.m. Central that the UFO was flying right on top of them. That according to a radio transmission. The guy's name is Stephen Douglas on the blog. Deep Black Horizon American Airlines verified to Fox News that the transmission is from flight 2292. I mean... Why is this not bigger news? I think it's interesting that they confirmed the transmission, but then wouldn't confirm what the pilot saw. They referred them to the FBI. It says, I, like, I hate to say this, but it looked like a long cylinder object that almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing, really moving fast. It went right over the top of us. Following a debrief from our flight crew and additional information received, we can confirm the radio transmission. That's all they'll confirm. You're right. The FBI did not immediately respond. But why don't we ask them to come down, tell us what they know. We'll tell them what we know, and I'll have them on.
The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.